This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths. Enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. When you experience life with people at the survival level, it opens your horizons and touches your heart. Not just to be grateful for your own privileged life, but sparks wonder about the bigger picture. I was inspired to dig more deeply and began to attend Bible studies. I looked at people I was meeting every day with different eyes and began questioning the meaning of their lives and how they wound up where they were and if their lives could have been different. Were they like the old me? Had they missed that inner voice and not followed their hearts? Were they too traumatized by their childhoods or pre-programmed to pursue the path they chose? Were they too stuck in their past to believe in a different future? What about people who were born mentally or physically handicapped? Is there more to life than we can see? Vani. Valeria interviews Vani Eichel. She is the author of A Reason to Carry On, the meaning of life within each of us to grasp. Vani Eichel was born in New York, where she attended CW Post College of LIU, but lived all her adult life in London, England. She has explored many careers, working as a blue badge tour guide, studied for the stock exchange and finance industry, as well as behavioral psychology and systems analysis. She finally found her calling as an exercise therapist for the elderly, disabled, those with special needs, and psychiatric ex-offenders. Her passions are ballet and wild swimming. She now lives on a beach in Sussex. Meet Vani at areasontocarryon.com. Here's the interview with Vani Eichel. In your own words, who is Vani Eichel? Vani Eichel was an exercise therapist. And during COVID, she decided to pick up a book that she wrote 20 years ago about her experiences. And that's when A Reason to Carry On came about. <laughs> I, I went to England when I was 19 to get married, quite young, because I was following in my parents um, what they wanted in their path, what they wanted me to do. And... I divorced eight years later and started to find myself. All of a sudden, I had some urge. I wanted to do ballet and I wanted to play baseball. And then I started doing ballet. And that something happened in me because it was my attitude, which I'll talk about, about different things that changed so much because I was becoming more of myself. And I thought, oh, what is a ballet dancer? And mm -hmm. I went to the class and the teacher started speaking about philosophy and art and history. And I thought, hmm. And I felt really a connection. 
And then I was still, I did very many courses and I tried to do different, I did the finance industry, the stock exchange, I did uh, systems analysis and many other courses, but I just didn't find myself. Aye. It wasn't really me. Aye. And when did you get the sense of being you? When did you ground yourself in that? Well, one day I went roller skating with a group. We went to the roller skating ring. And before, just when I got in there, a voice from inside of me said, I can see it so clearly now, don't do it. And the people, they were going to be there for a few hours. And I thought, oh, my God, I better do it. I didn't listen to that voice. And I broke my leg. <laughs> and it took a year to heal. And I was in terrible pain and on crutches for a year. And what was also painful is I was someone that was always running, you know, a bit of attention deficit. Mm -hmm. was, yeah. <laughs> and then I was forced mm -hmm. all of a sudden to be imprisoned. And that year, which was painful, and also so handicapped, became the most valuable year of my life. That's how the book came to be, a reason to carry on? Not quite, not yet. Because that year I was living at home and I never really took notice of the nursing home that was opposite me all those years that I'd lived there. And there I was, I was brought to realize what really my purpose in life was the hard way, because it was quite different. I loved ballet and I loved reading books on spirituality, but I was not doing following my heart. And I said, if I had my life to do over, I would have been a ballerina. But here I was, I'll do the second best thing. I'll teach exercises. And I decided then to the ballet, based on ballet, to people with handicaps, because only then did I understand what it meant to be, um, you know, invalided out, or to be in a wheelchair, to be on crutches, to be in pain, or to have people looking down on you when you're sitting in a wheelchair. And that was a very valuable lesson to me, because it was only then that I could understand. And that was when a transformation really happened. And they, when my life took on real meaning. Yeah. yeah, and usually that's what it takes. I have seen this pattern within myself and so many people that I talk to, people in my family, friends. And I wonder why it takes most of the time suffering for us to uncover the truth of our own hearts and to have the courage to follow that truth. And then also the connection that we make with other people. It's so important to deeply connect. And, and that's why I do this work too. That's my way of connecting with humans in a deeper level. It has been my heart's desire. So going back to the, the heart, uh, following the heart, this concept, how do we know, Vani, how do we learn to distinguish the voice of the heart from 
other voices, all the other ones, belief systems, our values, our family, society, and all that. It took me 40 years. <laughs> I found it. Yeah. <laughs> a question that you didn't say anything to me about is that inner voice. There, I told you I didn't listen to it. So look what happened. I didn't listen to it, and it turned into the most valuable year of my life. And then I thought about it. And I thought, well, when I look back now, I see there is a voice. So, you know, and I have followed that voice other times. And times when I didn't listen to it, at least I knew that voice was there. And I should have listened to it, but whatever life guided me in a certain way. But that voice was there, and it's there for you to listen to if you, if you choose to. And otherwise, you know, sometimes you're not brought into a situation where all life is always cozy and wonderful. We're meant to experience certain things because we're here to grow. Mm, that's uh, another interesting message. What would you say is the, the purpose of the human experience? What's the goal? What are we growing into? I think we're all here to serve. And I learned that. And another point that I'd like to make that I was going to bring it up differently was question of the light. You know, people always spoke light, light. I thought, you know, okay, it's light, what is that? Yeah, I found out what that light really was. And, and, and I, I felt that light. When you ask, what is your heart? Well, first of all, it has to come from a passion within you. You know, people can can do jobs that they're not happy in and they they but if you do it the best you can do and you're giving of yourself you put it on a different level so you're doing it from your heart and you want to always be the best person that you can be and you're, we're all here to serve i love that message that's another interesting idea the best person that we can be how would you describe that vani Well, I, I can give you an example of when I started working. The first time I went into nursing homes, some of them weren't as fancy as others. And most of them weren't. And you came in and you had this, really you were slapped in the face with this stench of urine and vomit. And uh, it, it just wasn't a pleasant atmosphere. You saw these people that really had given up on life. You know, what, it is, what is it to be old? My definition is people who've given up for life, on life. That's mm. what old is. Well, you can be a hundred and you're not old. It's beyond even service, being at service to others. Um, I like to hear that because some people are not really, they can't really engage in service, but they can still be kind to themselves first and then kind of expressing that kindness in everything they do, the way they speak and their, their being aware of their thoughts and actions, even if even the smallest ones. I learned really is that the receiving is in the giving because there I was in the, you know, in these nursing homes and all of a sudden people who were bent over started straightening up because I was giving so much of myself. I put on the music, which music also is the way you connect with the soul. And 
they were hearing melodies that reminded them back of their old days, you know. And, um, for instance, Al Jolson, Oh, How I Danced on the Night We Were Wed. Or, and, but I got them to stand up, sit up straight. They all did it in chairs. We did it in chairs. And they were sitting straight. And they were, their posture was correct. And I showed them how to use their arms. You use it from the tip and pull forward. You know, it's when you say that the book is really about the whole person and all the different aspects of oneself that contribute to being meaningful life. You can't, you know, is it you can't be, have one without the other, so to speak. Right. And that makes a lot of sense to me. You said something earlier that I wanted to make a comment or ask a question. So that voice that you heard not to skate, not to do the skating. <laughs> so you didn't listen to it, but then it led you to live a meaningful life. Have you wondered if you had actually listened to that voice? Would you be here now regardless? Uh, that's a good question. I think I think so. Well, I think well the point is the year that I had sitting, not running, always I was running. And at that time also, I became a much better mother. I had two daughters. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot about them. <laughs> I married so young yeah. and I wanted to enjoy my life. And I, I wasn't the cancerian that I was born to be. And yet, you know, now, uh, you know, I, I sort of, my heart breaks that I, how, what I lost those years with my children, which I was with them, but I wasn't a devoted mother as I am now. And I think I would have got there because of that broken leg, sitting for alone for a year and seeing life differently, seeing it when you're, in, you know, disabled and in ca I, can't, I can't explain to you. You have to experience what it is to have a, a disability. And I was very disabled. I had a cast that came all the way, my whole leg, and I had uh, something through the heel, and I couldn't move without both crutches. And, uh, you know, it was horrific, and the pain. And that was, you know, it was wonderful because I can only, it's a ridiculous thing to say in a way, but it was because it taught me to be the person that I was to become. I'm not there yet, I'm sure. <laughs> We're, you know, always to grow and get better and better, hopefully. But it was through the people that I was giving to, because then from nursing homes and retirement homes, I went also worked with people as, with psychiatric problems, you know, uh, people in their 20s and 30s, and tried to help them. And then really was touched mostly by the people I couldn't help. I was engaged to work with adults who were had the mind of one-year-olds. And I thought one day, oh, God, I'm getting somewhere. There was a smile on someone, and it, it turned out to be wind. You know, there was nothing I could do to help them. And my, the idea, my, well, the reason to carry on is that there's everyone can, but not every, but everyone, but not everyone can grasp the meaning of life, in, which is there for them. Not everyone is able to, because moving over, 
to then I came to a hostel for psychiatric ex-offenders. And that's when I saw the light, when I was working with them. You know, when we were going back to this idea, what is, what is the light? I don't think I really explained it to you that, you know, people saying the light, the light. But another th way to understand there was someone who also said, you always have to look at the minutes of the last meeting to know what happened before to be able to move forward. And I was always, I became very interested in Bible studies and reading the Old Testament and learning the Old Testament. And there you learn in Genesis with creation. And, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. But why was the sun was only created and the moon and the stars were only created on the fourth day? So what was that light? And the light of the first day was the light of, that, of creation. And that's the light that we see and then it disappears. And we, we, we live our lives trying to get to see that light again and to try to find it. And when I was working with psychiatric ex-offenders, I was, one day I left and I was, all of a sudden I felt light. I don't know if this is light that we're, that light, but I, I still remember it so vividly. And it was many years ago and I started crying. It was only a few seconds. But that, I believe, I found the light. It hasn't come again. But I believe that showed me that I was on the right path. Can you describe the, um, let's say, the thoughts behind, did you have any thoughts behind the glimpse of light that you had? Just crying. Crying. And, oh, my God. It's just too wonderful. It's when I know people who say, you know, who've they, they've died and then come back and they said, oh, they saw this light. It's just, I felt just bathed in light. I just can't tell you. It was one, just a second or so. It's crying that came over me and this feeling. And I thought, oh my gosh, it was just wonderful. You know, I made it, you know, I, 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 I got there and then it was gone. It's like, the, it's the light of creation. It's gone. We're not meant to get very much of it. <laughs> yes. Or maybe it perhaps it never goes away. It's always here, but it has been deemed down, kind of covered by the sensory perception. I think there's something to do with that because I see that uh, from time to time I get the feeling of unconditional love by being unconditionally loved. And that's what happens, like crying, I cry, and there's no thoughts behind, nothing, but just this very warm feeling of belonging to life itself, perhaps that's what it is. But feeling loved, that's, if I can express it with words, it would be from the conditioned body-mind, then would be feeling loved exactly the way I am. So that's the feeling I have gotten many times. And I have those, I do a lot of meditation and, and spiritual practices. It's um, my way of life. So it kind of comes back all the time. And it's the most beautiful thing. But I think the reason why we don't kind of live it 
from moment to moment is because we give too much attention to the sensory perceptions, what we see, hear, smell, touch. So that takes over and kind of, it seems to me that that's what happens. Well, I'd like to talk about, because I don't like to speak about my feelings and how I feel and what my, what I try to do in A Reason to Carry On is to try to give the facts and to try to show that working with these people, that's where I learned so much. Mm. And it, particularly the man who really had me was the was the cause of me writing a reason to carry him was a psychopath, and he said to me he was illiterate. He was in his mid thirties, and he couldn't read or write. And he had a life of violence. He had a very deprived life. He'd been in prison, and he said to me one day, you know, he he fell down in in front of a pub. And a girl put out her hand to pick him up. And he said, what's the point? Ah, what's the point? He became became this illiterate person with no education, with violent, and he did some terrible things in his life. But he gave me that idea. What's the point of it all? He said what he's going to get up for and just to fall down again He might as well just keep, you know, he was a drug addict. He might as well fix and keep using. So that made me think there, I'm I'm going to seeing all these people who really life hasn't been so kind to them. And yet some in going to some nursing homes where some old people they we couldn't walk, they couldn't move, they couldn't anything. And yet there were some who were miserable and grumpy and just saying they want to die. And yet there were those one or two people. And yet they found joy in everything. They didn't want to put anyone out. They would always be the kindest and the sweetest and the best. And they tried so hard to help everyone where they couldn't move themselves. They were just kind and loving individuals. And they left a big impression on me. And it made me think, it made me learn looking at people with these hard lives. And it's not the life you're given, it's how you handle it. So true. And I know that some of us, some of those people that you had the... um, the gift to be around. Some of them didn't have that, the opportunity even to explore the realm of the meaning and what to do because they're limited. How do you make sense of the limitations for some of us, even the intellectual limitation that we are born that way, some of us, we all suffer, but why do some people seem to suffer more and be stuck, almost a, a prisoner of that, that kind of suffering that they are born pretty much with? Have you tried to make sense of that in a, from a spiritual light? Well, I think when I always try to think of it in the terms of reincarnation. You know, my brother died. Really, there was another catalyst in my life is that I was basically, in a way, a religious person in my heart. And then my brother died when I was 23, and he suffered terribly. 
And I went off religion and I went looking, you know, I went, what is this God? What God is this that could let, you know, someone like that suffer? He was in, you know, in such agony. At that time, they didn't give you drugs, enough drugs. And, you know, strong person was screaming in pain. And I had to listen to this as a, in my 20s and praying and praying. And yet it went, it didn't stop. So I gave up religion then. And I, I was looking, I went to Eastern, you know, with the Eastern route and trying to look for the meaning of life then. Yeah. And that, and I found it in the end by going back to religion. And I, you know, it was there. The answers were there. I just didn't know it. And I hadn't, I hadn't learned it. You know, it's also how religion is taught to you. And it's not just religion. You don't have to be, you know, you don't have to be a, a formal religion. You can be, have the light, you can have, but when, I think one in life needs faith. I don't know what the old, you know, people say they don't have, or they're atheist or whatever, but I said, what's the alternative? Because I believe, and I try to teach these people, the, the psychiatric ex-offenders who really, didn't have a life at all. Life was so difficult. They couldn't pull themselves out and put real meaning into life. Yes, a few can, if you re- you really have to work hard. But I, I, I you know, I studied uh, behavioral psychology, and in the in a reason to carry on, I talk. I give a lot about a background in psychology to try to people uh, uh, understand how sort of where programmed before. For instance, I discussed twin studies where twins separated at birth and then they found each other and they had this they they married wives with the same names. They they both had all they all had the same mm-hmm. yeah. things exactly. Yeah. They went to the same <laughs> beach on vacation. Mm-hmm. They it was amazing. Yeah. They were absolutely programmed so how much free will do we really have that's right how much free will do we really have and also 50 percent of uh of a person who they are is at conception yes yes you know uh, so I think it's very important. What I, what I, in a reason to carry on, I tried not to put my feelings in or what my 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 thoughts or my. Um, but really, I, I looked at the facts, and also I don't want to leave out ballet. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's beautiful. That my life <laughs> at the age of twenty nine, and to me, ballet is a metaphor for life. A life well lived, because it has everything for me: body, mind, and spirit. And I think if people follow, you don't have to be a ballerina and you don't have to do ballet, but the principles of discipline. And people say, you know, the, te- the body is the temple of your soul. Appreciating your body, knowing how to respecting your body, knowing how to use it being disciplined, working hard, trying always your best. And, of course, you have the aspect of the arts, music, 
And, you know, you can't define what music and art are. It's something spiritual that touches people. So that's why, to me, it, and that's why the exercises that I taught were ballet-based, because I thought it had so much. You know, very often you see people going into gyms and just pumping away. But it doesn't really appreciate the body for what it is, the temple of the soul. <laughs> mm, yeah. Um, yeah, I love the way you describe it, actually. You see it, the temple of the soul. It's the appreciation, honoring body as the temple of the soul. That's a beautiful way of seeing it. Yes, but also, you know, um, when I was working with uh, the elderly, very often, a lot of them wouldn't use their feet. They didn't have the connection of the feet to the ground. They would sort of shuffle. And I said, use your toes, you know. And people, do, they wouldn't even know how to stand properly. They would, people, you know, get very frightened when they get older because sometimes they fall. And even if they have a Zimmer frame, they didn't know how they walked with such anxiety because they didn't know how to lift their head up high and pull their body up and push against their feet. That's another thing, you know, I, which I incorporate, how to use your body properly, like an elastic band and what the body really is. And, you know, how much joy you can get mm-hmm. by, you know, respecting your body and using it properly. Using the whole body, right? You just made me think now. My toes, <laughs> I'm kind of uh, moving them <laughs> as you, as you just. Well, I became aware of them just now. That's funny. It's also yeah. you're grounding. It's, if you look <laughs> yeah. at, at uh, something <laughs> like animals or hippo, hippopotamuses, they're very much grounded in the in the ground. Their feet are heavy and pushing on the ground, and then that's very important people to get grounded and people who don't use their feet and just shuffle don't use their toes when you think about it or don't use their head to lift up when they walk or when they use their I always who I taught in a reason to carry on that you use your body in a way like elastic bands muscles are like bands and you look and just to think of it with grace and not to, when you when you stretch, you stretch with your fingertips and you elongate, you know, and it, it's all it all comes together because if you take control of your body, you start controlling your mind. Yeah, it's all you know, it all works together. You can't have one without yeah. you have to do it all together. True. Spirit, and that's why I emphasize again so much the exercise in the ballet and how I how I was able to give so much to people. I felt because I really gave them myself. I pranced around. I tried to get them full of energy, and I was terrible. I felt I was terribly successful, and it didn't matter. You know, people are all the same. I've tried to tell you, but in a reason, carry on, it shows all the different places that I went to, different people of different backgrounds, different handicaps and all that. And yet they were all in their core the same. We're all the same. And they all want the same things. 
I love the way you talk about uh, the the connection body mind and then of course the spirit. It's a uh, it's the idea of using or utilizing everything that we have, kind of expressing life through all the channels that we are giving, using this temple, this vessel. That's interesting. They just reminded me of uh, stretching more because <laughs> it's easy to forget, isn't it? Even It's easy to forget that we are in the body. And, you know, also to relax one's shoulders. So many people hold so much tension in their body. You know, in A Reason to Carry On, I, I write about uh, Henry, the psychopath. And to give you an example, when he came yeah. into a room, he would swagger. You know, he wouldn't just walk, he would swagger. And what what is swagger? He was trying to to sh- he put a mask on, a sort of he was trying to show something that he wasn't, and you know he wasn't in connection really with who he was. And I tried to get him to walk in the room with a presence, to stand up straight and lift up his head, and walk, you know, respecting himself. And I think, you know, you look different. And even people who were sitting in these chairs all day, all of a sudden, you know, it was so delightful to see them sitting up straight. <laughs> From being to really see them. And it was, it, just, it was just glorious to see them with these ballet, using their hands, propping their feet. And then they would, I said, to when you stretch, you use your toes to lengthen your leg. When you pull, when you you stretch, you know you raise your leg. You use your toe. You pull on your feet like elastic band, or then you push on your heel, and you you know. And to learning how to use your body and appreciating and think, you know, focus. Focus is so important for everyone. And you know, I was just a humble exercise therapist. But just using the tools of my trade, I think I was so able to help everyone because the body, and coming back again, is such an important part of who we are. I love the way you speak about the experience. It's, uh, it kind of opens my heart because I can visualize these people that once felt limited or disconnected kind of uh, coming in connection again, just coming back to the sense of this honorable self, this respectful being that we all are, it's a spiritual work. Well, I think I got more out of it than they did because there I felt, you know, 10 feet high because I came out of being there in the, you know, in, in sort of a nursing home or a day center, whatever. And I saw people, they changed that for that time that I was with them. They were happy and they were, you know, and I I felt that I received so much and I gave so much of myself. I was a shattered at the end of the day. I went to, I did four classes a day and I was really, you know, giving, I was dancing, prancing all over the room, going to each one and also touching them. Ah. Yes. It's very important touch. Um, you know, and some people, you know, listen to carry on, you'll see that they didn't appreciate my touch or they didn't appreciate me invading their space. And one has to learn how to gauge these things as well because I started to learn how to, to approach people 
And the one thing that I also learned why I was successful with the psychiatric ex-offenders was because I showed them respect. That's what people want. You know, when, the, when these people's minds are being developed, they're being deprived of love or they're being abused. Their brains don't develop in the same way that normal people do. And then they perceive slights differently. And they, they, if they don't feel they're respected, and that's why you have so much violence because they always have to assert themselves because they're only grow, they've only been brought up in violence. Uh, one, one person I, I was really touched me uh, in, in the book was someone I called Rick. And at nine years old, he was taken by his father and brothers and put into prostitution. And he was such a lovely man. And he was cutting himself all the time. And he would tell me he's evil. And he did do some evil things, I, I found out. But he was pardoned from the worst. He is, he, it was taken into consideration because of the horrendous childhood that he had. And, you know, and that's why a person like that, to, it, it takes a lot to give someone meaning in life. And when I worked with this, I was a bit naive as well. I was a very naive person because my book is dedicated to Henry. And I say Henry, Henry Higgins because he's my teacher. But he, he was the one that really, he, he, I was naive. I realized because he made me feel so good that I was really valuable. And then I said, and, and um, I explained them why someone was tried to kiss me, you know, in a very nice way. And they thought that was dangerous. So I had to go. And he said, Oh, if you go, I'll break uh, tables and chairs. So I saw him privately. We would meet in parks and all that. And then afterwards, it was winter. What could I do? I did something stupid. I asked him, I led him to come to my home. I mean, I was really naive. And then I was very lucky because I found out afterwards from his psychiatrist, I was warned to stay away from him. He was arsonist, rapist. He was, you know, a lot of these dangerous person to be around. And he changed dramatically. But I was very naive, and I always thought, oh, I could help, and I could do something. So another point I want to make, there I was thinking I was so altruistic, giving of myself. And then I realized, I told you that I lost my brother when, he, when I was 23. Well, Henry, I was transferring my feelings from my brother to Henry, and I only realized that afterwards. So all our motivations in life, we don't always know. Mm. We think we're doing the best, but we don't always know mm. where we're coming from. That's incredible how it goes back to the, uh, the idea that we really have free will because there's so much happening here, so many decisions we make that... If we go deeper, we won't know exactly why we made those decisions. We are making them. So there's a lot of mystery. I agree. Yes, but also another point that I'd like to ma make, because we were talking about, you know, some people can't change, but people 
Some people can change. It is possible to change. And that's where I go into the behavioral psychology uh, part of it. That, you know, change has to be gradual, though. We have to be aware of what we're actually doing and what's going on to have a greater ability to control our lives. And we have to also accept the things that we can't change. Yes, I love your wisdom and I love you being open to life as you have been, Vani. <laughs> It's a question of, you know, by doing, as I said again, the receiving is in the giving. That was my experience. And I learned from my, my students. They were my teachers. Very humble, which is part of wisdom, <laughs> the way I see it. So again, I want to mention the title of your book is A Reason to Carry On. The Meaning of Life is Within Each of Us to Grasp. And the book will be on Amazon for sale on February 24th. So I want to thank you again, Vani, for your presence and all the experiences you share, the wisdom and the lessons. This It's just, it's easy to to see that meaning of life, as you call it, even within the stories. It could be just listening to you, it kind of transported me into a different place. I read parts of the book, I didn't read the book entirely. So listening to you kind of uh, made me grasp something that I have not even contemplated before. Well, I hope the people who read the book will get more out of from the experiences that I have that they wouldn't get otherwise because one doesn't meet this kaleidoscope of people otherwise. So thank you for being open to do that, to write a book. I know it's, uh, it takes effort, commitment, discipline, as you know. Do you still dance? Yes. <laughs> you do? Wonderful. I do. <laughs> yeah, I was curious to it's, know. I, it's not, but actually, it's changed since COVID. Everything has changed. It's not the same anymore. A lot of people left, unfortunately. That's the thing about life, again, is the change, right? And that's what we need. There wouldn't be life, I feel, without change. That's what life um, is. From the human experience, that's basically what it is. And even when we don't perceive change in life itself and what's happened, the experience, changes are taking place, which mm -hmm. is interesting to see, to notice, really. We don't see it, but we notice sometimes. So I have the ending questions. But before that, Vani, would you like to say anything that you left unsaid or read a passage in the book? Well, Yes, I think I would like to read about the to um when I said about special children and reincar um reincarnation is a cycle of birth, life and death. I'll just skip that though. It makes sense of a world where children born with severe disabilities are on their last journey in the cycle. There's a reason and purpose for each of these lives who have little to accomplish or any obligations. It's the parents of these children who are blessed and given the opportunity of caring for a soul who will always be dependent on them. These elevated beings cannot express their eminence, but whose parents are given the task of looking into their own souls and hearts to obtain their greatest joy. 
the disabilities for which there are no cure deem these children unable to reveal their true inner selves because of their soul's greatness and perfection that ordinary people cannot communicate with them. It is those who understand the blessings that come with those who are children for this life. For believers, there is another world to come. Mm, yes, <laughs> for believers. <laughs> I love that the spiritual component, of course, to me, it's a huge part of being human. You probably heard the expression about that we are spiritual beings having the human experience. And I really see live that reality. So thank you for including that in your book <laughs> in details. And in purpose, the purpose of life is to gain the ultimate knowledge and free oneself from the constraints of the material world through good deeds. Mm. Yes, a billion times to that truth. Yes, beautifully said. Thank you so much again, Vani, for your Thank presence you. here today. My the greatest pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're beautiful. So before we say goodbye for today, what is the best place to find more information about you and the book? Um, on my website, www.areasontocarryon.com. Yes, so I have the link and I'll have that on your podcast profile too. Thank you again, Vani, and we'll talk Thank soon. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Vani Eichel and her work, please visit a reason to carry on.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.